Today's episode of the NFL Power Rankings podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NFL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score some last-minute tickets. Hi, and welcome back to the NFL Power Rankings podcast. I'm Lindsay Jones, national NFL reporter for The Athletic. And I'm Amy Perlopiano and a national NFL editor at The Athletic. And week four was a really weird one. It was uh, one of the most difficult power rankings weeks that I think we can remember, Lindsay. So six of the top 10 teams from last week lost. There are now 13 teams that are two and two. And there's another one at two, one and one. Um, even the best teams, the Patriots and the Chiefs, they played really tight games that you feel like one play made the difference. Could have gone either way, really. So a really, really weird week. Yeah, it was it was as difficult a week to do the rankings as I can remember. I actually sat at a Starbucks on Monday morning with kind of my, you know, my number one through 32, which is kind of how I go about doing my rankings and actually like, tweeted a picture of it because I said, help. I mean, I, I just I had my number one and two down and then I had my like bottom four teams pretty set or four or five teams set. But in between, you know, basically number three through 27, you know, I think there's a lot of arguments we made and um, I see our commenters are already starting to, you know, make some, make some of those arguments. So our power rankings file, the full list one through 32 is up on the athletic. So if you have issues with, if your team is too low or too high, uh, you know, your rival team is too high. If you've got complaints, feel free to leave them in the comments there. We, we love to hear from you guys and you can tweet. I us. read all the comments, comment. I read, I, I go through and I read every single one. So yeah, not going unheard. Yeah. So this is, you know, but it really is what makes the power rankings kind of so fun and infuriating. And yes, there's, there's no stakes involved. This isn't, you know, the college football top 25 where, you know, actually like games are determined by, um, you know, by these ranking systems, but it is really, it's a really useful exercise to figure out kind of the hierarchy of the league and where every team is at on a week to week basis. And, you know, you know, I tried to pull back the curtain a little bit this week and we'll, we're going to get into that on the podcast today of how we actually go through this exercise Um, because, you know, you don't want to overreact too much from just one game. So, you know, how much do you want to take into account what exactly we saw in week four? How much are we weighing, you know, the entire body's body of work from weeks one through four? And how much are we projecting where we think the team is right now and going to go into the future? So, you know, it makes it's, it's, it's certainly an inexact science. And I just want to put out our standard reminder here that these power rankings are one through 32. Um, we have our entire national staff um, of reporters and editors who are voting, and then it's all compiled into one master document, all of those votes. And that's how we get this list. So it's not just my one through 32 or Amy's. Um, it's it's our entire staff. And that's what we uh, what we think makes it fun. So go ahead, read the entire list at The Athletic, tweet us at The Athletic NFL. And now we're going to get into our rankings. Yeah, so let's do the top five. Top five, bottom five. So starting at number five, we've got the LA Rams. They are down two spots from last week. Number four, Dallas Cowboys. No movement there. 
Number three, New Orleans Saints. They're up from number eight last week. So they made quite a big jump. And then same up top two as it's been the entire season. Number two, Kansas City Chiefs. Number one, New England Patriots. Uh, You know, the, the kind of what I expected with that top five, I think that the Rams are still in there. They didn't fall too far out after a really weird and ugly loss to the Bucks that turned into a crazy shootout. Um, but I think the reason why they didn't fall out is because there's kind of a lack of other good teams to supplant any of the previous top five teams. Like, you know, Jared Goff has been disappointing and there's a lot of questions about the Rams, but I still am not sure that there's any other team out there that's proven that they're definitely better right now. So I think that this top five makes makes pretty good sense. Uh, I know some commenters are a little peeved that the Cowboys didn't move at all after their 12 to 10 loss. They can generate really any offense. Um, Lindsay, what do you think? Yeah. And I think that's always the argument where if you you're mad that a team is stayed the same or didn't fall a lot is, well, who are you going to put up instead? And our answer was the saints are back in the top five. I mean, they moved up significantly. Mm-hmm. They were eight number week. They were number eight a week ago, um, up to number three, which was higher than I expected that they were going to climb. Um, I actually had the Eagles in my top five, um, getting back there. And I think what's kind of interesting or notable is that you know, this top five, honestly, with the exception of the Cowboys looks a lot like what our week one did our our week one list. What, Mm -hmm. you know, these are the teams that we thought were going to be the best teams and they've had some blips along the way. And, you know, for the teams that are good, I think it's expected that they're going to have a bad game or, you know, a little bit of a setback here and there. It's once you see teams losing multiple weeks in a row and you see patterns emerging. So, you know, I think, you know, with the saints, you know, those are two huge wins back to back weeks, you know, at Seattle and then at home against the Cowboys. I mean, those were both playoff teams last year and they're doing it with their backup quarterback. So I think what we're seeing with the saints is that, um, their, their roster is good enough. Their defense is certainly good enough, um, that they're able to survive without Drew Brees, however long he's going to be out. So that's why they're back there. So, you know, I think this is the right top five. I do, um, you know, I'm, I'm very curious about the Rams right now, how they rally from that. And they play Thursday night against the Seahawks. So if they lose again, they, you know, if they lose to the Seahawks, I certainly think they'll be out of the top five next week. And the Seahawks could be back in it along with the Saints. So those are the teams yeah. that I'm kind of watching this week to see, you know, maybe if they were to fall a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that a team that has a chance of getting in the top five is the 49ers who were off this week and benefited greatly from being off because they are now the only undefeated team left in the NFC and the uh, first place in the NFC West. So things went really right. Things went really well for them this week while they were chilling uh, on their couches on their bye week. And they're going to have a high profile game um, coming up there on Monday night against uh, the Browns. So they have a really long, but I mean, they were off and then they don't play again until Monday night. So we're going to learn a lot about the 49ers. We're going to see them in a very high profile spot. And I'm actually really excited to watch that Monday night game. Unlike uh, last Monday night with the Steelers (laughs) and the Bengals, which was um, uh, some teams that we're about to get into now as we go into our bottom five. So I will kick those off um, right here. We got number eight, the Denver Broncos, who stayed at number 28 this week. Number 29, the New York Jets, who moved up two spots while they were on their bye week. Uh, the number number 30, the Cincinnati Bengals, who, are stayed, who stayed put at number 30. Uh, number 31, Washington Redskins, fell two spots from number 29. And number 32, the Miami Dolphins, for the like 18th consecutive week. Um, <laughs> they've, they've been at the bottom since we started our offseason 
season rankings and they, uh, they will stay there. Although I will say last week I put the jets at number 32 and this week I put, uh, Washington at number 32 and go, if you go to our, our file, the, the athletics power rankings, it's up on the athletic right now. You can see a little bit more details about why I put Washington, um, number 32, um, yeah. So the, the, I mean, they're just dreadful. They're awful. Then Dwayne Haskins does not appear to be the answer. Everything is going wrong there. So I, uh, last week, I think I was a little, uh, not confused, but I, I thought that there couldn't really be any other team, but the dolphins at the number 32 slot this week, I do see the argument for the, for the skins. And, you know, I think the common refrain, is kind of like, at least the dolphins are <laughs> trying to lose and the Redskins, I think are trying to win and they're still just terrible. Um, yeah, the Jets, uh, you know, they raised two spots because they didn't have a chance to be awful this week. So we'll see if they get back to that number 31 spot next week when they play the Eagles. Um, but number 28, I want to talk about the Broncos, Lindsay. There's been, we've had quite a few uh, articles go up this week about the Broncos. They lost again. They lost a heartbreaking fashion. They lost another close game. And at this point, you know, they're 0 and 4. They, there was like some hope going into the season, I would say. Um, oh, and oh, yes. There was, there was yeah, a lot there, of hope. <laughs> there was a lot of hope. I think, you know, they brought Joe Flacco in. I don't know if the hope was necessarily centered around him, but I think that there was, there was a thought that they were going to be at least respectable. Like they were going to be an okay to solid team in the league. That has not been the case so far. Um, Michael Lombardi wrote yesterday about John Elway and his role, uh, as a GM of the Broncos and how his tenure is just really been, I know that he has a Super Bowl win. And, you know, you, if you look at the record alone, you could think that it's been a success, but, uh, what Michael Lombardi argues is that he says, it seems impressive until you look at the pre and post Peyton Manning era where Elway's tenure is littered with problems and head coaching firings. With Manning, Elway is 55 and 17. Without him, he's 29 and 41. Uh, you know, as Elway has found out, everything is better when Manning takes the snaps. Obviously, Manning has not been in the league for <laughs> a few years now, and the Broncos have just looked completely lost. And Lombardi also talks about John Elway's role as GM and how he does not think that he is handling the team the right way. Uh, Michael Lombardi believes that he kind of feels that he can run things from his president's chair and uh, that's not going well. <laughs> Lindsay, you've covered the Broncos extensively. You have spent time, you know, at least talking to John Elway, you've talked around the team. What do you think about the situation? What do you think about John Elway? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I said, we got to, we got to talk about the Broncos today because it's, they've all of a sudden at, here at Owen four, they've kind of become like a national talking point. And yeah, I live in Denver. Um, I started covering the Broncos in 2008. Um, so I think one thing that I would point out with Lombard, Lombardi's column is, is he said the, the pre and post Manning era, um, he did, there wasn't really a, much of a pre Manning era. John Elway came in, um, in the, uh, before the 2011 off season and he inherited, you know, a team that was in not great shape. Um, you know, after they fired Josh McDaniels, brought him in to kind of take over the organization. Um, that was, you know, the Kyle Orton, Tim Tebow year, the the craziness that happened that season. But in his next off season is when he got Peyton Manning to sign with the Broncos. And, you know, that was a huge coup and he should get a lot of credit for getting Peyton Manning to sign with the Broncos. And then for being able to trade Tim Tebow and actually get uh, a draft pick. I believe it was a fourth rounder in exchange for, for Tim Tebow at that point. So it, it's not like it started out 
poorly. It's really right. been in the years since they won the Super Bowl um, in after the 2015 season. So it's been the 2016 off season on that things have really fallen apart there. And, um, you know, I, I've been talking to people in town. I mean, I was at my high school reunion this summer and everybody was asking me how I thought the Broncos were going to be. And I kind of said, they're probably not going to be very good. And nobody could believe me when I would say that they weren't going to be very good. And um, I actually went back and read a column that I wrote on February 13th. Uh, so right back, it was the day that they, the Broncos agreed to trade for Joe Flacco. And I didn't like the move at the time. It was a, it was a really a sign to me that Elway was continuing to take the Broncos in the wrong direction. And I went back and read that column, um, the, the today and yesterday and, it, it holds up and, you know, I'm feeling very validated. I'm like patting myself <laughs> on the back for, for, uh, for, for some of the things that I wrote there. And, you know, I think that what it really comes down to is that the Joe Flacco trade, when they made it, it was a sign that Elway thought that they were just competent quarterback play away from getting back uh, in the AFC West race and making the postseason. That 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 the that just changing the head coach again um, and getting just kind of good quarterback play. I mean, they weren't even asking Joe Flacco to be a Pro Bowler, but if he could just be better than Case Keenum, that they would be able to compete for the AFC West. And I wrote back in February that um, that was a that was an unrealistic expectation, and that the Broncos were you know, further away from making the postseason than they had been at any point since they won the Super Bowl after the 2015 season. And that certainly has kind of played out here. And, and certainly you can argue that two of their losses have been really close. Um, you know, they, they lost in kind of heartbreaking fashion, two games at home to the bear, uh, home to the bears two weeks ago, and then to the Jaguars on Sunday, both on last, you know, last second field goals by the opposition, both included, you know, somewhat questionable roughing the passer calls. I thought the one against Bradley Chubb against the Bears was worse than the one against Von Miller and the Jaguars. But, you know, so you could argue, okay, well, they've been close. But the fact is they're own for the Chiefs are 4-0. They're, they're not competitive there. You have to look at the entire roster and what has happened over the, the course of four years, really, to get the Broncos into the situation. And, it hasn't just been the quarterback, but the quarterback misses have been the biggest part. You know, the, the Paxton Lynch draft selection in 2016 and how quickly it flamed out, that set the Broncos back years. And that's all on our way. And there were two completely wasted drafts, 2016 and 2017. Those entire draft classes almost as a whole are, are not participating for the Broncos anymore. There's only one player in the active roster left from the 2017 draft. That's left tackle Garrett Bowles, their first round pick this year, who had he not been a first round pick and had they maybe had a better long-term plan at offensive line, he wouldn't be starting anymore because he really hasn't been good. He was okay against the Jags, but that was his first kind of decent game that he's had in a while. But these are all things that, you know, Elway should have known and had a better plan plan for. I mean, Garrett Bowles led college football in penalties. And then yeah. John Elway took him and he's leading the NFL in penalties. So yeah. these are all things that you have to put on John Elway. So that, you know, the, the drafting and the roster building has been um, a really, really big issue. Um, and, 
you know, and that's, that's on him. And, you know, he's talked a little bit about how he needs to be more introspective. He actually talked about it today. He did um, on Tuesday, he did an interview with the, the Broncos, you know, flagship radio station where, you know, he talked about how he, he said, quote, ultimately this comes down to me. So I'm here to get this thing figured out. Now's the time to really put our nose to the grindstone, work at this and see if we can get it figured out. Well, what I'm arguing is that that was obvious in January and in February. So if you're here October 1st, just now realizing that your, your roster is in disarray and it's really time to work and fix it, it's, it's way, way too late. Yeah. There, uh, so what do you think is the next step? I mean, if they say they finish 3-13 and 13 this season, what do you think the next step is, is for them in the, in the front office? Yeah. And so that's the big question here. And I get asked this a lot. I do a lot of kind of radio interviews from places around the country and people ask like, Oh, well, is Elway on the hot seat? Is Elway going to get fired? And what it always comes back down to is who is going to fire John Elway? The Broncos have a very, uh, unconventional ownership situation. It's, yeah, um, it's very, it's, yeah, it's, it's very messy. It's, you know, it's, it's hard to get into our beat writer. The athletics beat writer, Nikki Javal has been covering it extensively. If you want to read up on the Broncos ownership situation, go check out Nikki's work on the athletics. She's done um, a ton of really good reporting there, but the, the bottom line is, is that they don't have, ownership right now. Um, Pat Boland passed away this summer. He hasn't been running the team since 2014 and the team is kind of in control of a trust. So there really isn't anybody who's going to fire John Elway. And it's, you know, you're starting to question like, does, is he accountable to anybody in there? And is it, has he built a staff of yes men? And is there anybody in that personnel department who's going to say no to him to say, uh, no, maybe we should reevaluate the way that we look at quarterbacks and the the criteria that we're measuring them by, or you know how we how we structure our draft. He had that guy in Gary Kubiak when Gary Kubiak yeah. was his head coach, and then last year Gary Kubiak worked for him in the personnel department, um, and then even that relationship it didn't the relationship didn't end, but um, he's no longer part of the Broncos organization. He's back to coaching with the Minnesota Vikings. So you know you have to wonder you know who is holding him accountable and how that can be fixed. So I think, you know, I think there are some arguments out there that, you know, Oh, Elway should be fired now and just blow the whole thing up. I don't think that's the right answer, but I think there needs to be a complete rebuild of that personnel department. And, you know, whether that's hiring somebody directly below Elway or somebody to take off, take over some of the, um, the pro personnel or the college personnel decisions from John, somebody who's going to be able to push back on him a little bit. And then we'll see where they're at, um, in January. One thing that is kind of notable and interesting, I did tweet about this last week, so did Nikki Jabvala, is that um, Elway's been off doing this kind of media tour. He's got an endorsement deal with a pharmaceutical company. And so he spent a lot of time last week doing kind of this media blitz where he was on Fox News. He was on a, a Boston radio station, you know, doing these interviews to talk about the NFL and then to also kind of talk about this hand condition that he had where, you know, so these are kind of like a paid promotional media blitz. This is very odd for an NFL general manager. I mean, yeah. try to imagine, you know, John Schneider, the, the GM of the Seahawks out doing radio in Los Angeles or San Francisco to talk about, you know, the NFL. Like that doesn't happen. And it's, it's, it's especially a bad look for John Elway right now when the Broncos are 0 4. So, you know, I've always thought that when Elway is no longer the general manager and executive vice president and all the titles that he has with the Broncos, it's going to be because he leaves. He makes that decision himself. 
because like I mentioned, I don't think there's anybody there who's going to fire him, but I just think at some point he'll decide that he's done. And I'm starting to wonder if that is coming. That point is coming soon. I didn't think he would leave until he got the quarterback situation figured out. I think that bothers him a lot, that that's now become a big part of his legacy as a, as an executive is that he can't find a quarterback. And I I thought he'd want to get that figured out, but I'm also starting to wonder now if he's setting himself up for uh, his departure. So that's, that's, I guess where this is going to happen. But, you know, I think from a team perspective, they're going to go through a lot of changes. I mean, there's already been a lot of roster overhaul, but, you know, guys that are the very familiar faces with the Broncos, guys like Von Miller, Emmanuel Sanders, Chris Harris, you know, the, the, these are the guys who are left over from the Super Bowl team. Emmanuel Sanders is on the last year of his contract. Chris Harris Jr., last year of his contract. The Broncos actually have an out and Von Miller's contract that they could get out of it after this year and save themselves, um, you know, a lot of cap space. So it's going to be a very interesting year, um, a, a wild last two weeks. I mean, it's going to be pretty miserable around here. I think there are winnable games. You know, I've looked ahead at their schedule. I, you know, I don't see any games that they would be favored in, but I think they're going to win a few games at some point. Um, you know, they actually have one in LA, uh, playing the chargers over the last couple seasons. That's their next game. Um, uh, you know, but you know, they've got the Titans, they have the chiefs at home on a Thursday night. They're at the Colts. They've got the Browns at home. They've got to go play at the Vikings at the bills. I mean, there's not a lot of, um, you know, you don't look at that schedule and say, Oh yeah, they're definitely going to win these games. So right. it's going to be a rough, um, a rough couple months. And, you know, it's it, this right now it's all in Elway. And I think Elway is still putting a lot of it on his coaching staff, just like he did over the last, you know, for the last couple of regimes. I'd love to see Vic Fangio get the time it takes to turn it around um, yeah. and get some better players in there. Yeah. And that was a major point that Lombardi made to you that he just kind of puts it all on his coaches, puts the blame on them and then kicks them out the door before they've really had any time to actually, uh, you know, actually get the team together in the shape that they want. So, all right. So we're going to move on now to risers and fallers. Risers and fallers. Was it week one when we got skewered by Vikings fans for having yes. them too low? Um, we have them very low. Spoiler alert. And they looked really bad uh, this week. Um, they are 17, I believe. They were seven last week and they dropped 10 spots. You know, is this a, is this perhaps overreactionary? Is it perhaps us not really knowing that much about the other teams in the middle? Maybe, but I think that they really looked bad. I think the reaction here is just, we watched that game and they looked really bad. Their offense looked awful. Kirk Cousins looked awful. And he said a couple of weeks ago, Kirk Cousins said, um, said, I'm not going to be playing quarterback here. If I go out and play the way I did this past Sunday for much longer, he said that in week two, um, he played that way again, uh, on Sunday, he, they can't get anything going with their passing game. Um, Dalvin cook only rushed for 35 yards and they have no answer for when he shut down. They don't, you know, Kirk cousins is just not putting them in situations where he's able to make deep throws or able to get them back in a game when they're down by multiple points late. He, he seems to not be able to do that. Chad Graff tweeted that our, our Vikings reporter tweeted that, the Vikings got the ball back with two and a half minutes remaining down 10 and Kirk cousins threw the ball six yards behind the line of scrimmage on first down four yards downfield on second down and at the line of scrimmage on third down. <laughs> so he's just not performing for them. And with the amount of money that we all know that he is making, 
it's really tough to look at them and see a team that we think is going to really succeed with him at the helm. Like it doesn't seem like he's getting it. He isn't getting it done for them. We're not sure that we've seen enough from him to know that he can turn it around. And he, you know, is he this bad? I don't, maybe not, but he's certainly not that good either. He's just kind of mediocre middle of the road. That's kind of what he's been. He's been solid in the past, but he was never going to be, this elite quarterback and that's really starting to cost them now as good as their defense has been and can be and as good as Dalvin Cook has been and, and will continue to be I, they have to figure out the Kirk Cousins problem and right now they really can't yeah and this this is a huge problem because they thought that signing Kirk Cousins last year that was the last piece for a Super Bowl team and they didn't even make the playoffs last year and for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned they were in some close games where you know they needed a, a game winning drive and you know Kirk Cousins couldn't put that together and you know I for you know I had them falling this week the reasons that I had no problem you know seeing them drop 10 spots it's because the concerns that we've had about the Vikings dating back to week 1 uh that Vikings Vikings fans were really angry about that. I mentioned week one, um, they continue to rear their heads. It can, it continues to be the same issue when you want to be a team that is so focused on, you know, kind of ball control and running the ball and, you know, using the clock, you know, all of those sorts of things, that's not always going to work. And they've been in a couple games where they've needed the passing game to show up and it hasn't worked. And you just cannot be that one dimensional. And, you know, Adam Thielen, uh, who's having a, a really rough season right now, they, they just have no connection right now between cousins and Thielen. And you can tell he's getting frustrated. And what he said after the game on Sunday was quote, at some point, you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards, even with the best running back in the NFL. That's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to hit the deep balls. And he's right. And he walked back those comments a little bit on Monday, trying to say that he was, you know, talking very broadly about offenses and not taking a shot at, you know, at his offense and his quarterback in particular. But look, he's right. I mean, that is the problem with the Vikings right now. And until they have more of a passing game, um, I I don't see them having much of a chance in the NFC North. And, you know, it is, you know, I, I get that Kirk Cousins is, you know, self-aware enough to say, look, you know, I have to play better, but he's going to be their quarterback for the rest of the season. And he's going to be their quarterback next year because of the contract that they gave him. Yes, it was a short deal, three years, but it was fully guaranteed, uh, fully guaranteed $84 million contract. And they're going to be paying him uh, $29.5 million in salary next year with a $31 million cap hit. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't get out from under that. So, you know, I had, yeah. I did a live chat this week and I had some people asking when we're going to see Sean Mannion um, playing for the Vikings. And look, they're not going to bench Kirk yeah, Cousins. They're not going to. There's no so way. they just need to figure this out. They need to he needs to be better. They need to game plan better. You know, when you talk about all those stats about throwing behind the line of scrimmage and, you know, your longest pass is, you know, six yards or whatever on a, a game, a potentially yeah. game tying drive, how much of that is play calling and how much is that the quarterback just not taking the shots and not trusting his receivers to get open. So these are some major fundamental issues that the Vikings have to get solved if they want to get back into that division race. Yeah, definitely. And our biggest riser of the week, also a 10 spot flip in the other direction. It's uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. They went from 16 to six, I believe it is. Um, and that's yeah, so, when the Vikings and Eagles basically just flops. They just flopped from last yeah. week to this week. Basically. Uh, so who knows? Maybe they're, maybe the real, you know, maybe next week we'll see that both are somewhere around the top 10 and not necessarily this far in it or this far outside of it, but 
based on what we saw this weekend, uh, the Eagles look good again. And I think a lot of the reason why we were so willing to jump them right back in from where we had them last week is just because I think that most of us expected that they would look like they looked against the Packers this year. Like, I think that's the team that we thought we were getting. We talked a lot about, um, a bet, a very balanced Eagles team at the beginning of the year of why they were so high on our list originally. And that's what we saw against the Packers. Like they, they made it work in the rushing game. They really utilized uh, their, they really were able to, uh, get play, make plays on the ground. And Carson Wentz had, I think it was a 113.2 quarterback rating, which was better than Rogers, even though he did a lot less, but that's what they wanted. They wanted a game plan where they were able to get production on the ground and Wentz was able to make the plays when he needed to, but they weren't entirely counting on him to do everything. Um, their offensive line was, was played very strongly. Wentz wasn't sacked. He was only hit twice. Their run defense continues to be excellent. Um, this win came on a short week against an undefeated team. It was a must win and they got it done. And so I think, you know, they just looked, it's kind of, they are who we thought they were. It seems like that game, they, they are, they, they look like the balanced team with a lot of weapons and able to play, make the stops. I should say that they made a couple of goal line stops that were huge and, and made the difference in the game. And so they're making it work on all fronts right now. And that's, I think what we were expecting heading into the season. And that's what we saw um, last week. Yeah. When I, I'm, I'm looking at the head at the Eagles schedule, they have the jets at home this week. Um, but then on uh, in week six, they are at the Vikings. So we've just talked a lot about the Eagles and the Vikings and two teams that have been kind of bouncing all over. So I'm really looking forward to that game. We can actually watch them um, go head to head. But yeah, I mean, I, I had no problem putting the Eagles back up. I actually had them in my top five, mostly because I've been so, I was so high on the high on them in the preseason. And, you know, I think this is where they should be. I do still have questions about their past defense, their past rush that hasn't lived up to expectations and, God, I would love it if they would trade for Jalen Ramsey. I don't think they will. I think asking <laughs> price is too high. And after talking to people around the Jags this weekend when the Jaguars were in Denver, it doesn't seem like they are looking to actually move Jalen Ramsey unless they're going to get blown away by an offer. You know, maybe maybe let it get a little closer to the trade deadline where a team gets desperate. But God, if they had a, a stud corner, I mean, they would I, they would be far and away my my Super Bowl favorite again. So, uh, welcome back to the the top ten, Philadelphia, and I. <laughs> I want to see if um, beating the Jets this week will bump them back into the top five. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that it will. So I think we'll see them uh, very high up. Back. I think we had them at four to start the season or somewhere like that, four or five. Um, I think they'll they'll jump a couple of spots by next week as well. We hear you. This is a new segment now. We're going to call it We Hear You. And uh, we mentioned at the top of this pod that we read all the comments. We read all of your power rankings comments. We don't take offense to them most of the time. Um, and so we picked a comment this week that we wanted to highlight and kind of address quickly here. Um, so Paul G said in our comment section of power rankings, Baltimore at number 11. I'm not sure I get this one. They looked great against two of the worst teams in the NFL, but lost badly to the two good teams they played. I would have thought they'd be ranked 16 to 20 at best. What gives? 
Lindsay, you want to tackle this one? Yeah, that's that's fair. And I think that was the, the Ravens were the team that most of our readers had the most issues about this week. And I get it because, yes, yeah. they, they lost at home to the Browns and were, uh, were still ranked higher than the Browns in our rankings this week. And significantly uh, higher, too. I think a good five spots or four spots. Yeah. So and, and I and I get that. So, you know, I think it's one of these things where these are composite rankings where we have, you know, I think this week we had eight or nine people that were voting. So, you know, one voter that's all the way one way can, um, can skew things a little bit. And indeed the the Ravens were the team that we were most divided on this week. When you looked at all of our voters, we went back through their ballots and I'm, I'm not going to call anybody out by name, but there was one, one of our voters had the Ravens still at number five. Um, and then there was somebody who had them as low as 15. Um, most of us, I will say I went through, most of us had them 11 to 13 range, but we did have the two outliers. And the fact that somebody had them at five bumped them up a little bit to number 11. And, you know, I think last week I talked about the Ravens. I didn't drop them very far, um, if at all, after losing on the road to the Chiefs, because I didn't think that game taught us very much about who the Ravens were. I think this week that loss to the Browns taught us a lot more about the Ravens were and really exposed uh, some of the issues that they have, especially on defense. And, you know, I think the questions that we had about them had about the Ravens in the preseason, those are coming back where they went through so much turnover on their defense that you just had to wonder how quickly this could all come together, how the communication was going to go, all of these sorts of things. And what we're seeing right now is that uh, they still have a long way to go. The pass rush has not has not been there. They have not gotten a consistent pass rush. Pernell McPhee has been okay, but you know they really lack that kind of elite pass rush presence. And then communication on the back end is is an issue right now. And you know Earl Thomas is one of my all time favorite NFL players to watch to cover. Um, you know he's he's so great, but he's also a really blunt guy, and he's going to be really really hard on his teammates if he thinks his teammates are not. Uh, carrying their weight or if they're missing assignments and all these sorts of things. So I'm not surprised that Earl Thomas is kind of is, is stirring things up and maybe getting on his teammates. So I understand. I hear you, Paul G. Um, <laughs> Shout out, Paul I, G. Um, I get it. And then, but then the other thing I think while they're still a little bit higher is that they were so good early. And that's where, you know, yeah. when I mentioned at the top of the power rankings or top of this podcast that we take into account what we've seen so far, you know, they did look really good those first couple weeks and Lamar Jackson has by far exceeded expectations. And then the Browns, they were so underachieving early in the year, you know, their week one loss was so bad that, um, you know, I think that they started lower. So while the, the, the Browns have been kind of slowly climbing over the last couple weeks, um, you know, they're, they're still just not, they haven't taken a giant leap after beating the Ravens, but you know, if they beat the 49ers on Monday night, the Browns are going to take a a very big jump in our uh, week six power rankings. Yeah, definitely. And, and the Ravens game against the Steelers will be a big one because I mean, the Steelers, obviously they, they got their first one of the season against the horrid Bengals, but they, you know, we still don't really know that much about the Steelers. Are they, are they that bad? Are they as bad as they've looked? Are they going to turn it around? And even if they're not great, they uh, this rivalry is always really intense. Uh, it, it's at Pittsburgh. So it'll be a test for the Ravens, even though the Steelers aren't the team that they've been in the past. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Power up, power down. Okay. 
let's uh, wrap this up with power up and power down. Lindsay, you want to go into your power up, power down? Sure. So this week, um, I, so I spent Sunday uh, of week four at the, uh, I guess it's called Empower Field at Mile High at the Broncos Stadium. Um, I spent Sunday with Gardner Minshew's family. Um, his dad, Flint Minshew, invited me to spend the whole day with him. So I, you know, we, we went out to breakfast and tailgate and, um, and then there was actually empty seats in their row. And so I sat next to him and watched the entire game. Um, so that the, you can read that story about the day that I spent with uh, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew's family. And, you know, for storytelling purposes, it was pretty exciting because he laid, led a game-winning drive. They won on a walk-off field goal. So you can read that on The Athletic right now. I'd love it if you check that out. It was a fun story to report and write um, on Sunday night. Um, but what I, I'm going to go into power down because, uh, you know, in, in our jobs, we don't watch games in stadiums like a lot of you guys do. And so this was a kind of a rare situation for me to kind of experience and kind of consume a game the way that um, a lot of fans do. And it was not a great experience. Um, I think there were some parts of it that were really fun and, you know, you get the full stadium atmosphere and it gets really loud and exciting. Um, but I'm going to power down to unruly fans because, you know, I've seen lots of videos, you know, I see them going viral on Twitter or whatever of fans fighting in the stands. I saw it firsthand. There was a fight about five or six seats down from me, literally on top of some children who were there with their families. Um, and this was, it was awful. It was, it was really hard to see. And I actually like went over to it and Gardner Minshew's dad, Flint, like kind of tried to pull me back because he didn't want me kind of getting involved. But I just saw that there were kids there and I just had to, you know, and I, I was like, I'm a sober person. I, you know, a neutral party here, you know, so I, I thought maybe I could not intervene. I wasn't going to get in the middle of two men who were throwing punches at each other, but at least, you know, be able somebody who could talk to the security guard or whatever, when it came and got broken up, but people are way overserved. They're yelling and screaming at each other. They're cursing. And maybe I'm just now in my like middle-aged mom life, but that does not make a fun experience. And, you know, I get that your team was losing or whatever. This was actually two Broncos fans fighting with each other. This was not like a Broncos fan versus a Jaguars fan. You know, this was fighting over some, you know, I'm not going to get into the details of why they were fighting. Both men were in the wrong, but one of the men was really drunk and spit in the other man's face. And this is not behavior that's appropriate in a public setting. And, you know, I think the NFL is having issues some places with attendance and what the in-stadium experience is like. And, you know, I had other things that I would like, you know, they need more replays. They need more access to stats all over the stadium, um, fantasy stats, next gen stats, a lot of stuff that they could do to kind of bring their, to, to provide that in-home experience if you're in this stadium, but just behave better, man. I mean, come on, dude. You know what I mean? It was, it was awful. And I feel terrible for those children who nearly got landed on by two grown men throwing punches at each other. So that's my power down. Let's just be better. Everybody. <laughs> a, Let's a act like power ones. down in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I haven't been to many football games recently in the stands and uh, going to try to keep it that way based on that review. <laughs> um, my power down and my power up. Sorry, I'm powering up. Um, it's a quick one, but uh, you guys might have seen video going around on Twitter this week of Deshaun Watson um, answering a reporter's question. I believe the reporter is actually the Athletics' own Aaron Rice of yes. the Athletic Houston. Yes, you're right. Um, and so there were, there were a couple of different reactions to this. So what happened was Aaron asked him about the Panthers coverage and situation and how, you know, what was the coverage they were looking at and, and how did you respond to that as quarterback? And, and Watson uh, kind of first gives a little, you know, response to the question and, and says something along the line of like, do you know what coverage that was? And I think 
when you're watching that initially, you might think like, oh, it's going to be another thing where the, the athlete admonishes the reporter for not knowing what they're talking about or that kind of thing. And there were some people who felt that it was snark, but he went on to explain in great detail the Panthers coverage and how they were executing it. And re- like for this video is like 50 seconds long. He's like explaining everything in, in great detail. And I think that that is really great and helpful. And I, I, I wish that more players responded so thoughtfully. I think that the, the way the initial response and the way that it might be perceived can be, yeah, I, I think there are some people who are going to think that he's trying to make the reporter feel foolish, but I really, that I really don't think that's what he was doing. That's not what I at all got from that video. And I thought that it was a very helpful answer. I think that it helps Aaron do his job better and learn more about, you know, get even more in-depth detail from the quarterback himself about the coverages that he was facing. Um, and I think that, you know, especially after a loss, uh, a lot of players don't really want to go into things or take that much time to answer questions like that. And uh, Watson did. And I, I think that it was so popular of a video because I think a lot of people were really interested in, in, in hearing him describe in such great detail uh, the coverages. So, I thought, I don't know, Lindsay, if you thought it was one way or another, but yeah, actually I was, yeah, I have some thoughts too. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that I know that we've seen this from other athletes before and it can be perceived as obnoxious. I thought the way that he answered the question was ultimately like a net good. Yeah. And I actually, um, I messaged with Aaron Reese, who is our Houston Texans reporter, who was the reporter who was asking the questions. I messaged with him a little bit yesterday. Um, and he said it was actually, um, previously, a, you know, a question or two before Deshaun Watson had said something about how the coverage that he was seeing that dictated why they weren't taking this, these deep shots. And so Aaron's question was actually a follow-up to something that Watson had right. already said. And, um, so it led to this really good exchange. And sometimes I hate that press conferences are always just broadcast live because they become very, very performative where it's, you know, and, and sometimes you just expect now, and maybe it's because so many political press conferences and football press conferences now too can become kind of combative. And these are the type of conversations that um, are are great between a reporter and an athlete. And I think the thing that's important for us always to remember and that I've experienced or that I've learned and since I started covering the NFL in 2008 is that, look, the coaches and the players, they are the experts in this scheme. And they don't want us to think that we know more than they do. Like our job is right. to ask questions, to learn about football. It's to watch a lot of film. It's to talk to smart people. It's to talk, you know, to, Hey, you know what? Maybe I, I don't ex- understand this scheme at the level that you do. So help me, help me understand it so that we can, you know, explain it to your fans and, you know, our readers are your fans. And so I love that exchange. Um, I thought it was, it, it was great from Watson's perspective and, um, you know, I, I wish that more guys would do it just like you said. And those are the conversations that a lot of times happen that you don't see it's happening in locker rooms. It's happening over the phone. Um, it just, it's so rare that it happens in kind of that formal press conference setting. And, you know, I wish more guys, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a board member, a vice president of pro football writers association. And one of the things that we do is we fight for access and, you know, one of the things that we try to push for is to have fewer guys that do the podium only interview sessions, because it's hard to get those type of answers at a podium. Guys feel a lot more comfortable to kind of just 
talk through football, you know, X's and O's stuff when they're sitting at their locker than they do kind of up at a podium. So I loved it. Um, I, I, I'm glad you did that as your power up and also, um, so power up to Deshaun Watson, but also power up to Aaron Reese for asking yeah, a really definitely. good question that, you know, made us all smarter because of it. Yeah. So way to go to Sean, way to go, Aaron. And, uh, thumbs down to the drunk fans at the football game that you were at. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. That's going to wrap up our week five power rankings podcast. We'll be back um, on Thursday with a bonus episode. Well, where we'll rank something else fun that's going on in the NFL. So that'll be a, a bonus podcast for our athletic subscribers. In the meantime, make sure you read our power rankings on the athletic tweet us at the athletic NFL and leave your thoughts in the comments on that post. We want to hear them and we promise we will read them. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week.